one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Hey everyone, welcome to the 403rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Paul Power, Alexander Valhuli, and JA. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Yuki Noguchi on the show to talk to us about his incredible cinematography career and also his insight into financial side of being a filmmaker, of being a freelancer in particular. Should you own gear? How do you invest your money? He's had a really awesome career. He's thought a lot about this and he has some pretty practical tips on what filmmakers can do to build in a little bit more longevity into their careers. We should say none of us are financial experts. This is all just three artists talking. We say that many, many times, but just at the top, this is not financial advice. But we do talk about our own personal experiences in a way that I think people will relate to. Yuki's a cinematographer that I've worked with a ton, and he's kind of the one that opened up my eyes to even like thinking about money kind of late in life. And just kind of that realization that like if you have some extra cash, it should not be doing nothing. You should try to grow your wealth. I, I'm, I am curious. I, I'd love to hear from people. You can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at justshootitpod. I'd love to hear if this type of episode is interesting to people. I do feel like Oren, like 15 years ago, would like skip an episode about finances. Mm-hmm. But now, Oren right now would be mad at that Oren. Because, you know, like I knew about writing off things for taxes for a while um, and kind of You're like I should probably do that. Maybe. I yeah. And I knew that people incorporated and there there were some advantages to it. And I didn't quite know why. Um, but I didn't know about just like planning for my future, because all I was like doing was like hustling on onto the next job, onto the next script, onto the next short, onto I'm going to get this indie film off the ground. Um, like maybe I'm going to save up some money and put it into a camera or a short film or something. And I never kind of thought about the long-term goals. I, I mean, I think when you're 25 and someone's like, if you started saving now for your retirement, you'd be a millionaire. You you're like, are like, who cares? I'll, I'll be yeah. a millionaire by the time I'm 29. Yeah, yeah. I, I think your your point, you kind of maybe made it offhand, but I think there were, we talk about it a little bit, but the idea that we're entering a high reward profession where, you know, if you quote unquote made it, you're not so worried about that because you're you're rich, right? You know, you're Steven Spielberg. And so, you know, Indiana Jones movies are going to pay for your retirement forever. Wait, so do you think like in all, I'm not saying this mm-hmm. in a sarcastic way at all. Do you feel like you and I have not made it? I think that the definition of made it 
changes the older you get. In so much as when you're younger, made it means that you've heard that person's name, right? That that you have, or or that you or you direct things that you can name, right? Like you maybe don't, yeah, um, know the name of the director of a Seinfeld episode, but you know that you know Seinfeld, so you know that they've made it, right? Right. But how many friends do we have that have directed like four episodes of TV and now? Mm-hmm can't get another episode to save their life. Sure. Yeah. Like, have they made it? And of shows we've heard of, you know? Yeah. Big shows. Yeah, totally. I, yeah. I mean, I think that that's what I'm saying is that when you're young, you think that Steven Spielberg is making it or, you know, Michelle Gondry or Spike Jones is making it. People that like you look up to and idolize, but those are name brand blue chip directors. And that, the education of working, the experience, the more experience you gain, the more you realize that there's a huge spectrum from a person who hasn't made anything and hasn't made any money from making anything up to those people. And that I think, look, having a career and a home and a family in Los Angeles is a version of making it certainly. But I think you and I both are acutely aware of how, much our ambitions leave room for greater success. Would you say you've made it? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't like walk into a room and be like, well, I, we made it. But like, you know, both of our wives have been on many TV shows that people have mm-hmm. heard. You know, your wife mm-hmm. was on Westworld and a bunch of other awesome things. My wife's on an HBO show hacks right now. Like, you know, We've been on things. We've worked with many mm-hmm. celebrities that people have heard of. We've had our stuff on TV. We've worked. Mm-hmm. You've won many awards. You've been nominated for an Emmy. Like, you know, I think any one of those things, like, to a person starting out, could you could think is making it. I do kind of think we we both make a living as filmmakers, and yeah, we have houses and cars and kids, and we're not struggle we we struggle creatively sure. and you know financially too but we've found a rhythm and if you compare it to like all the people you went to film school with like how many of them have like quote unquote made it this far mm-hmm. you know if you add a this far <laughs> uh-huh, sure onto the end of made it then we have you know and it's like our full-time profession is uh stressing out about filmmaking yeah i guess we have looks like we made it it's you know we're we're working directors we're talking about money with Yuki a lot on this episode. And I just got off a meeting with co-producer B. Chaheen from See You Next Christmas about the money that's coming in. It, the movie's available on streaming. It's doing great on Peacock and all of this stuff. We're in the process of kind of, you know, distributing money to some investors and things like that. I was reminded like, oh, this is a job you sign up for. You can't quit from producing a feature, right? Like until we like, turn off the lights and and shut off the the company basically the llc like we're just in it we go to the accountant every year we are like we have a meeting at least at least once a quarter but like much more regularly than that especially now that the movie's picking up some steam um and like talking to investors and all of that stuff and it's a funny thing to not i i bet that there were producers who don't totally realize on their first movie like it's a marriage like i'm going to be working with b on this for a decade probably you know what i mean 
Mm-hmm. That's just a wild thing to to realize and think about. Yeah, I shot a movie in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Came out in two thousand ten. Twice over the last week, people have been asking me if I can get them the French subtitles for this movie. <laughs> it's almost twenty twenty four. We're on the verge of twenty twenty four. That'll be, you know, fifteen years since I shot it. Also, good news: getting French subtitles is a heck of a lot easier now than it was back then. But it is cool that someone wants to screen the movie. Still. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 15 years later. Uh, Real quick, we want to say we talked to Yuki for like almost two hours. So we're going to make this a two-part episode. The first part is a lot about like, should you buy gear? Should you own gear? Like, what are the economics of like being a filmmaker that brings their own camera um, to set? The second half is a little bit more about uh, freelance lifestyle like what should you do you know if you make some money what should you do with it like how to invest safely and yuki has a lot of thoughts on it and the last thing before we talk to yuki i wanted to remind people that we have a patreon patreon.com slash just shoot it pod it's a place where you can go to support us we really really appreciate it we will mention your name at the beginning of an episode uh if that is valuable at all but really the value that we get is just like you know helping keep the podcast going helping pay Noah, our editor, helping pay all our server fees, and just um, reminding us that people are listening to the show. So patreon.com slash just shoot a pod, uh, a buck a month, four bucks a month, 10 bucks, anything you feel like you can give. Maybe you made some money from the tips in this episode. You learned how to write off your Netflix subscription. They were like, I, I had no idea. Also, a live show is coming in the new year, so get ready for that. Now... He's not an NPR host, but he is a cinematographer, Yuki Naguchi. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, everyone. We are here with Yuki Noguchi, cinematographer extraordinaire. We've talked to many cinematographers. You probably have too. But never anyone that knows as much about money. I, we probably have talked. I, actually, now that I say that out loud, I bet a lot of DPs probably know a lot about money. But of the people that I know, <laughs> Yuki was the first person to actually get me to start thinking about like how to save money and how to make my money mm. work for me. As freelancers, you know, we do all these jobs. We go from job to job and we're, we are living in this state of fear and stress and anxiety all the time because maybe we had a couple of great jobs, but now we, we have a couple months with no jobs and like, like knowing that you have money in a bank account that's making money on its own, that's getting interest or knowing that you've invested in the stock market or somewhere else can make you feel a little bit better. And so we think this is relatable. We'll say it a couple times, I'm sure. Um, but just to cover everyone's butts, none of us are financial advisors. I can say I'm a pretty big idiot. So don't, we're, we're just three artists talking about things that we have done for ourselves to earn and lose money and, and really more of a, a way of thinking about um, about money in general, because I, you know, I was raised to, to care about money very much, but not especially, I was resistant to being financially literate. We can say, right. You're raised to like order the cheapest thing on the menu, right. But right. not to invest. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, my mom would be like, no, I really wanted you to invest. And I talked about it all the time. And like, I was resistant to that, actually. Um, so even even stupider than than that version, Oren. Um, cool. Yeah. Anyway. And uh, and I guess, and I do want to say, I feel like thematically our show, especially in the last years, has been like about longevity in this business and how you can last and how you can make it through like the ups and downs. And I think this is, this is kind of the answer. This is it. Yeah. Is being smart yeah. about this. Um, yeah. So Yuki, by the way, I, I'm going to say your name many times in this episode. Yuki uh, also pays me $5 every time I mention him on the podcast. That's really the, <laughs> the financial my, secret. My main income. <laughs> so uh, am I going to get it every time I mention your name, every time I say Yuki Noguchi, Yuki Noguchi, or is it just once per episode? We max out at one, one an episode. Yeah, every time uh, you get $5. Uh, boy, whew. I think you oh, should. What if I say yukinaguchi.com? Is that worth more? Yeah, that, yeah that's, uh, that's uh, you know, $6. Um. <laughs> I will say uh, our friend uh, Derek Cohen um, reached out and he said, hey, uh, if you say my name, I'll give you 10. So here we are. Shout out, Derek. Yeah, more lucrative. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yuki, we're going to dive in on a handful of things. Um, we're going to get to gear, which I think is probably the thing that is the most pressing. Can you tell us a little bit about why you started thinking about this stuff at all? Why you, you literally wrote a document for freelance filmmakers about numbers. First of all, thanks for having me. I'm a, I guess, long time listener, first time caller. I did write this document that's called Filmmaker's Financial Guidebook. And I have been reading a lot about like a finance books and kind of slowly started figuring out like how numbers work or like investment works. And I didn't know any of this when I was in 20s. 
<laughs> and I thought that was really a good idea to spread the words to the people who ideally more in like a twenties or thirty like early thirties, like whoever can make time as a weapon and then compound the interest. I think that that was the idea. Um but mm. then um I got invited by this podcast and I'm now here <laughs> talk about it. So yeah, it's um that's kind of inspiration of it that I wanted to just share the knowledge. And then I think when you talk to people, like people just give you so much information dump, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just a, like, I, I don't understand any of just terminologies. A lot of like, you know, I can't read so like many rules or like, I don't understand stock market. Well, like I don't really know many things and then i think especially in 20s like what you want to know is like so where do i start so at least i can like start compounding interest which probably people don't even know that term but you know in 20s and i think i th I just wanted to show them like hey this is the simplest place to start and then you can kind of expand the interest beyond that um mm -hmm. but uh kind of nothing to do with also filmmaking too so like i think it's it says filmmakers financial guidebook, but it's not so much to do with filmmaking per se. Well, I think it it does. Cause when I used to be an engineer, like the first thing you do when you get one of those corporate jobs is you set up like your 401k mm -hmm. or your IRA and you, it, you like kind of the system in corporate America is built to like help you have some savings and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're obviously your local 600 guy, like the union kind of well, tries to do that matching too, but, too, right? Like they're, yeah. they're incentivizing you to stay with the company because they're paying you s some version of what, what you're agreeing to put into those funds. Right. Right. And in theory, you'll work for this company for 10 years and then another company for 20 years. And then 10 years later, you're 65 and you retire and your 401k has been managed by someone at Schwab or whatever, Vanguard or some place, some, money management place and they've kind of been riskier in the beginning of your life and later and less risky as you get older, but you don't even have to worry about it. It's just in these 401ks and then you retire and now you have like a few million dollars to live off of and hopefully not pay a lot of taxes on because you've retired and you don't make a ton of money and you're in a lower tax bracket and all this stuff. But uh, us as freelancers, we don't have that. I mean, we're worried enough just about how, how to have health insurance, you know? let alone like saving for when we're in our 60s. And I remember myself when I first, when I quit engineering and moved to LA, I was like, I'm going to make so much money as a filmmaker mm -hmm. instead of putting this $20,000 I got from like stocks, uh, like instead of keeping them, I'm going to spend them now to live so that I can make my short film and invest in myself. And then I'll make a lot of money as a filmmaker. Uh, but really, if I would have put, kept those $20,000 worth of stocks, they would be worth, you know, like, 20 times as much right now. And that would have been a much better money-making investment. Uh, yeah. I, well, look, I, I think, especially when you're young, part of the thing that's tricky about filmmaking is that you're always looking up to people who have quote unquote made it and who are super rich. And especially when we wanted to become filmmakers in the very beginning, those people, there were a lot of very, wealthy filmmakers out there that we looked up to and that number has dwindled in a certain sense right but you're still you know no one says oh i want to be matt enlow when i grow up they say oh i want to be dan kwan when i grow up and like those guys are making money still right you know like uh, well can i ask you do you do either one of you guys know filmmakers that you've worked with 
that are like super wealthy? The only ones that were born into it. Like that, I mean, that, that have become wealthy become from, wealthy from, from filmmaking. film business. Mm-hmm. I mean, Yuki DP'd for Ben Affleck once, right? Mm-hmm. That guy must make a lot of money. Yeah. But probably from acting and owning things, right? Yeah, I think, I think those guys own something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's kind of key to sex, you know, to financial success in, I guess, United States. Um, you have to own something to, um, yeah, make, make money. And then ideally, like, you're not tied to, you know, your wealth is not tied to your time. I think mm-hmm. that's that's the idea of it. I guess right, like number of shoot days is not rel- related directly to how much money you'll make. Right. Yeah. Ideally, if you can get there, that's like that's the dream. Know, golden. Yeah. So that's a good segue about owning things. Um, so you own a ton of gear. You know, we were texting before this, and we were like. Yuki, you're the money guru and you're like texted us back. Well, you guys both own houses and I don't. But you have basically like a house worth of camera gear, right? Like you mm-hmm. own Alexa 35. You have like every red camera you have from down to the DSLRs and GoPros all the way up to like the Cook anamorphic lenses and um, right, like the, the top, the most popular camera in the world right now. Probably quite literally a down payment on a house worth of gear, probably, right? Like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah. We won't tell your address where you keep it all in your bedroom. <laughs> yeah, um, not hard to find me. Uh, but yeah, um, well, I, I own some cameras and not all the cameras you mentioned. But uh, yeah, I have some you don't have any, gears. Like, you don't have an Alexa 35? I do have Alexa 35. and uh, But he wouldn't I be have, cut dead with a red no, but you used to have, have red. <laughs> I used to have red. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You had the Komodo. You sold to. it? Yeah. Yeah. Sold it. Oh. Well, tell us about that strategy because a Komodo is still a camera that people use. It's not mm-hmm. like, you know, it's uh, not a, a red MX or something. Yeah. Right. yeah. Like, how does, how does, how do you think about gear and owning it and, and the finances behind well, it? Well, I have a lot of idea about that. Uh, but um, so, particularly to Komodo, um, I had a, kind of weird relationship with it because uh, I bought it twice, I sold it twice. And it was essentially like, I know like a Komodo is great for the size, but uh, it was just a camera that didn't excite me. It just, the image that came out of it wasn't really something that I wanted to put it in somewhere else. Like I think, um, I think to me, like, I like to be inspired by the thing that I'm buying and I like to, I only want to buy things that I want to use. And I think Komodo was kind of barely outside of that realm. And I did need it for one job. So I bought it again. And then after that, I was seeing this camera depreciating and then I thought that maybe I should just get rid of it when I can. Um, well, so, so I'm curious about this because this is kind of, this is interesting. Do you only buy cameras with the intention to shoot on them or do you ever buy them to rent them as well? Because you have two, ca- that, you, had, yeah. you, had the, you had the Alexa 35 and the Komodo at the same time, right? So, so a better example would be um, I, had, I had an Alexa Mini LF. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had well, first of all, I had Alexa Mini and Alexa Mini LF. 
at the same time. <laughs> and I sold Mini because I didn't use them. And I had a, I just bought Alexa 35 this year. And I just sold Mini LF because it just didn't make sense for me to keep the Mini LF. And <laughs> I think to me as a DP, I need different tiers of cameras or two of the same camera. And ah, I see. Mini LF and Alexa 35s are both high end camera. And to me, like I have to, and, and plus they don't match. So it's hard to ha- own those two, te- like two same tiers of cameras. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just needed to let go of Mini LF because of strike and all the slowness. And I felt like it was depreciating and it was time to let go. So, but, so just yeah. to to unpack the the idea of having two cameras on the same tier, the basically premium, you know, um, uh, Alexa Mini LF is about as good as it gets, right? Um, like that's a triple A camera, but you said it didn't match the Mini, and so is it that you want it to be, you want to take both on this on a job? You want to be shooting two cameras, and so they need to match for for that purpose, or yeah, I think I. I... Do you know some people who owns like a two of the same cameras? I think a lot of documentary filmmakers, documentary DPs mm-hmm. own two cameras. And yeah, mostly they use it as A and B cam. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those, like, I think it makes sense to have two like top tier cameras. But um, for me, it was, yeah, it wasn't matching. It wasn't like whoever wants to pay Alexa 35. Like, don't want to have hassle of like, oh, yeah, Alexa Mini LF, it kind of matches with mm-hmm, Alexa 35. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not targeting those producers or directors. So mm-hmm. they would say, like, why can't we just get to Alexa 35s? Right. Um, right. And, and, and like, I think bottom line of owning gear is it's kind of fast. First of all, it's only financial you know, advantage, not only, but like, you know, it, the financial advantage has to be more of the priority mm-hmm. and you can always just rent. So you can shoot with, you know, rental, rented camera or someone else's camera. And like, it just doesn't have to be your camera for that job. I think job requires different kind of gears. And then I think it's nice to have like, Alexa 35 um, because it's one of the best cameras and then I think you can just people don't really ask you too many questions about it but if you have read Kumoto and then you're trying to sell it as like you know this is top tier level camera some directors and producers wouldn't be happy about that choice Yeah. yeah yeah that's interesting yeah no one has ever complained about shooting on an Alexa 35 but also, you know, a lot of times Bill would be like, oh, let's work with this DP. She owns her own camera. He, yeah. he has this gear. And then as a director, like, okay, I guess we got to shoot on the red mm-hmm. helium or whatever, because that's what the DP owns, even though I kind of want to shoot on Alexa. But you're saying if you have the best camera there is, mm-hmm. then that's not, that doesn't really become an issue. But if you have a less desirable camera, all of a sudden you're, you're either not getting the job or you're getting the job and the director's bummed or you end up just renting the camera the director wants and you don't make any money on the gear 
right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's where, like, you know, we chatted a little bit before, uh, but um, the goal of filmmaking is getting in the way of your financial ability mm-hmm. when you don't have the best camera. Mm-hmm. But when you have yeah. best camera, then it's just a picking the tools. So mm-hmm. I like sometimes you just need different tools to do different jobs, but if you can have your tool as like if you if you can have your camera as your main tool and nobody else like uh sees the differences between like Alexa 35 or Mini LF or like you know mm-hmm. probably even Mini, I think producers wouldn't care too much. But if you bring up again red camera in a mix, then Sure. Well, some people cares, and I think red camera has its own place. Like you know, um, it's small, and then when you want to, like when, yeah, when you want to use different cameras, I think there's definitely spot for that. But I think um, it's just a tool, and um, you want to hit the biggest financial yeah. area. It's almost as a, much it's as a marketing possible. decision in a sense, right? Like I, to me, I was always annoyed when producers would be like oh we should hire this person because they have a camera because it always to me the the big artistic decision is not what camera it does this dp own the artistic decision is which dp do we go with do you know what i mean like yeah that's the person behind the camera right that's also kind of struggle of owning gear i think a lot of people try to see me or like us as like you know just a package deal and mm-hmm, i think mm-hmm. um in past i've tried my best to separate myself from like owning gear i think uh, whenever i get hired i would try to separate myself like mm-hmm. this is my dp rate this is like what's mm-hmm. your camera rate and it has to be separated and yeah. if they yeah, want to yeah. try to tack you know bring everything into a bundle i still separate them like all right so you want to hit this number but i'm just gonna separate it like this is my rate and this is a camera rate you can you own you own master primes you own cook anamorphics you own a bunch of easy zooms like he you can't just have them sitting at home all day he's got to have them like at a rental house getting paid for right like there's some there's some math in like master primes i can get a set for a hundred thousand dollars i need to make i need to use them on a shoot that pays me ten thousand dollars for them and then i need to rent them for like thirty thousand dollars worth and then i need to be able to sell them for seventy thousand dollars for them to have been worth buying right yeah um yeah you just kind of covered like a basis of it but yeah essentially whenever i buy things like you know i always account for the time that I sell the items and uh, ideally I can sell the item for somewhere between 50 to 70% of that value. And, um, as long as I don't miss the like timing, I, th- I think that's totally doable or like, unless I break them or like, you know, I use them like, if, yeah, if, as long as it's in, in a clean, clean, functional, you know, uh, state then you can sell them for that price so yeah you're trying to make rest of the money so 30 percent to 50 percent back uh to make even well I, ideally you make you know more than even but uh, that's the goal um for the lenses uh, like i would say 
a lot of people say lenses are profitable, but uh, from what I'm seeing, it, they are not. They are they actually terrible investment. I would not recommend to anybody else. Uh, it should be the bottom of the list for anybody else. Uh, I think one lens is great, um, but yeah, uh, I don't I don't believe that lenses make you money. Even even your easy zooms, those are awesome and like relatively affordable compared to some of your other high end lenses, right? Like more yeah, than so so you have to like hassle a lot and then make less. Like that's you know, sometimes <laughs> it's easier to just buy a very expensive one and let's kinda, you know, Let rent sit, it out and then sit, make sit on a feature for a while. Yeah. I guess I had always imagined that the reason why lenses were profitable is that they last so long right like that you know we're still shooting on you know glass that was made in the 50s 60s 70s and maybe sometimes rehoused or something like that but that the elements essentially are timeless and that they age with us in a way that uh, a camera body tends to especially in this climate um, the technology is just moving so quickly that the state-of-the-art camera an alexa mini from five years ago is three generations old at this point and, and, and no longer in fashion, even if it's an incredible image, you know what I mean? So is there any credence to that? Is it a long game or is it just that there, the price of rental is so low that it's, it's just never going to pan out. Yeah. I think there's a truth to that. The lens last or possibly hold the value for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, I think for me, it, it's all hindsight. Like it's just, we are looking back and we're picking the lenses and cameras that did well, but mm-hmm. when you're in it, it's really hard to say which one will do how much. Mm-hmm. And for instance, like nobody talks about quick S4s, or, uh, S7s, like, you know, like or S5s, like people don't like S5 was so expensive. Nobody really used it. And then, so mm-hmm. as S7 and S7 was destroyed by S8 which is from Cook. Like, how can you use S7 over S8 when S8's out? Um, so I think, you know, we can keep talking about how super speeds are great because it lasted for a long time. But, like, I have Ultra Primes and I bought it for, like, 68000 mm-hmm. or so, like, mm-hmm. a long time ago. And then now it sells for, like, 30-something. And that's yeah. just insane. And you don't think you've made 38000 Back I probably have. So here's the two things, two points that I want to talk to you guys about. And I think people can take some listen from me. Um, bottom line is whatever you're using, what it, whatever it is, like whatever you use every day, every shoot, or, you know, like maybe 20 times a year, whatever it is, like if you use it often enough, that's good stuff. Like, so if you use a lens every time you shoot, that's good investment. You should mm-hmm. buy them. Mm-hmm. But if you don't use them, if you're choosing between other things, like, you know, that was my Mini LF, like Mini LF for Alexa 35. I'm choosing. It's like already 50% rental right there. So, mm-hmm. like, I should probably get rid of one as just a single person DP. Um, it's different for rental houses because rental houses need more options for people to, you know, come back. So I think that's good for them. But I, don't think um particularly yeah me owning a lot of 
options for lenses are not profitable. And mm-hmm. I can talk to you guys about like a kind of specificity of numbers that I just kind of go off of. Um, this is not scientific. This is just kind of how I see in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but so essentially anytime I buy an item or equipment, I think of like how many times I had to rent it out to pay off mm-hmm. or pay off as in zero. So like, mm-hmm. actually that number is not true, but like, you know, I would try to pay entire cost. So if, if um, and the good, I usually items around like a 50 to 75 times rental. So like a, around 2% to somewhere between one to 2% rental, mm-hmm. uh, 1.5%, I guess. Um, so that's that's regular. That's normal return rate for the camera gear. So if you and bought it, something for $10,000, you need to rent it for $150 for you to be happy with it, right? Well, vice versa. If, if something's renting out 150 bucks a day and then if that costs $10,000, then maybe I should consider buying the item. Ah, ah, I see. Okay. That, yeah, that's how you decide whether it's worth You go by the rental rates to gotcha, determine your gotcha. budget. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. Item. And if it's 20 times, then you should definitely buy as soon as possible. <laughs> so right. they're setting items that's 20 times. Um, Can you give an example? Yeah, yeah, usually all the lightings are 20 times. Uh, they always say it's a one day weekly rate, but um, yeah, I don't believe that. They, they, you know, <laughs> on, a, on a commercial, they charge for one day. So it's, 20 times and then usually that's uh they are out which is great returns and lenses are somewhere around 100 to 150 times that that's a long time like a lot of rentals to pay off yeah so those are the numbers i think uh you know the easy zooms are probably like a 50 like i think that's why it's good and it's cheap but it's also popular Um, right right so it's it's less about I mean, the sticker price is part of it, but it's really about what the the ease rental. of paying it off than rental. Let, let, let me ask actually <clears throat> a, a, a clarification point. When we're talking about you renting this gear out, is it sitting in your garage and you're just like keeping an eye on your share grid account? Is it in, is it consigned to, you know, Sinalese? Like where, ha, ha, who is managing this gear and mm-hmm. are they taking a cut? I might be a little bit a uh, different case from other people because I, I do have a lot of stuff. Um, so mostly I have only camera items. I've been selling a lot of lighting, so sticking with camera stuff. I have four rental houses to put mm-hmm. the gear in, and mm-hmm. uh, it's called consignment. And usually they take uh, sh- they take 40% and you take 60%. Of rental rate mm-hmm. and that 40 percent is like for stocking and they do all the invoicing and just, you just get a check at the end of the month basically yeah uh well this is the case that they rent it out so mm-hmm. um it's not you renting them out like it's they found the renter and then they rented out you you did nothing you just mm-hmm. left you just because you own the gear you take 60 percent of the cut of course the number i don't know if that's faceful number you know mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. hard to say because everything's discounted and i don't know which items are discounted um 
So as a consigner, I can tell you that it's really rare that consignment will pay the gear off. Mm. And mm-hmm. if they do, why don't they buy one? Right. Like, so like as <laughs> sure, a rental house sure. owners, like sure. there's a reason yeah, that yeah. they don't want to touch whatever you, you know, I'm leaving there. So yeah, I think it's kind of hard game to play. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people think they can pay off the staff by themselves or by the consignment. But I think uh, truly I cannot do that. And I only pay, I could only pay off the gear if I'm DP and I'm mm-hmm. bringing the gear to my job. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I would probably not touch the gear at all. So you literally, you have to go pick up the gear every time you book a job. You're like, hold on, I got to swing by the, the house and go pick it up. Yeah, um, I have s- some items at home. Um, mm-hmm. I don't consign my Alexa um, mm-hmm. just because I just want that to be available for my shoot all the time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. But for, for instance, like lenses, it's just such a high value in like small cases. I don't mm-hmm. want that to be stolen. I don't want that to be burned down or whatever it is. Like it's, sure. uh, I, I just leave it at the rental house and I don't need them for every job i'm just picking one of the lenses or i might i I still rent a lot of you know lenses a lot of times so it's case by case but yeah usually lenses outside some big items are outside for the storage sake and uh yeah and when you when you decide like oh i'm gonna go ahead and and buy this camera and i want to put it up for consignment at, at some one of these places do you reach out to them in advance do they say oh sorry yuki we've got a bunch of these already is that part of the equation as well so yes and no essentially i well bottom line is i don't have camera consigned so it's hard to tell Mm -hmm. um i never i don't think camera will be paid out of you know sure consignment when i buy things like i think my metric is just can i pay this off without the consignment can i and do I want to use it? Do I want that to be my mm-hmm. creative options? I think those are like a metric to me. Mm-hmm. Like, and if I want to use it and if it excites me to be a DP to use the item, then I think, um, yeah, you know, that's great. That's I kind of more it. of a holistic approach. And especially when you hear the margins on consignment, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. But there is like a trend following too, right? Like during COVID, when everyone was doing Zoom stuff, you bought a whole system to, transmit the image over zoom right like like there there is like you see a need like oh this is getting really popular i'm gonna buy this this is losing popularity like you have right these like amazing master primes but they're not a full uh frame you know they're, they're they don't work not all of them work great on full frame sensors right so now maybe you i mean I, I guess you know you're not gonna invest in lenses anyway but but there there is like a it's almost like instead of keeping an eye on the stock market, you're keeping an eye on like rental rates, like what's popular, how much, like if a camera is losing value, you got to sell it. Like, how do you keep track of all that stuff? Is there a website? Is there like a Robin Hood for camera prices? <laughs> yeah. So, um, <clears throat> well, I started tracking this like very closely after COVID. And mm-hmm. uh, before that, I was just really amateuring this process but uh now i have ROI set up and then i track every single items uh how how they're doing um it's yeah that that's where i got 
uh, I concluded that lenses are not good investment. I think that's where it came from. <laughs> you you um, finally built the spreadsheet and you're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, this is no way. I, I have to move it to the stock market. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, so, well, I wanted to use this for unpaid in, in endorsement, but um, oh, I use this app called Notion and I created um database and then I just yeah I just inputs everything by myself so um I can tell you you know how much is how much consignments making me money or which consignment houses are making me how much money back and um yeah there are a lot of in- interesting numbers but also depressing so <laughs> So my last question about owning gear is like, how often do you use it for like a passion project or to like shoot a spec or for fun? Like to me, that's like, I think as a director, you think about owning gear because you're like, oh, I'm going to go shoot my short. I'm going to do a proof of concept. Like Matt and I have a Blackmagic 6K that uh, I've used one time. (laughs) Well, I use it all the time if that makes you feel any better. (laughs) I have a Sony a7S III that, you know, obviously it's not the same level as your cameras, but I've spent like six or seven thousand dollars to get lenses and all the whole thing and i use it uh 99.9 for auditions to shoot my wife's auditions which yeah. you know i i think i actually think it's a good camera for auditions yeah yeah but uh but yeah it's like i think as a filmmaker we always want to own cameras and own gear and mm-hmm. i was telling your buddy tom morris and the dp he works with a lot brooks they wanted to buy an alexa 35 and they're like we buy it look we get like every job we have there's like a nine thousand dollar like camera budget and Mm -hmm. then you know we only need to work like 12 jobs and i'm like dude that you're saying that you have one job with a nine thousand dollar camera budget and your next job has like a five hundred dollar camera like Mm -hmm. and now you're gonna have to manage it it's not just the camera you have to buy the batteries you have to buy the media you have to buy camera support like right no one's gonna get it without a try like sticks or anything like uh, now you need a head and that's like a few thousand dollars and it's like just gets so expensive to just buy this thing and then like renting it out as a whole job on its own. So I don't know. It's a, do you know any filmmakers that own gear that are like making money off of it or like more directors? I mean, directors, um, some production company that I know of, like some do documentaries and then they can pick up the camera and go. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but I think there's a reason that big studios don't own, cameras you know i think mm-hmm. there's i think i think like a couple of things that i want to toss into the idea is that i make most money when i have ecosystem and mm-hmm. you order like you if you can't create the ecosystem you probably shouldn't have any gear mm-hmm. uh, or like i think you, you're just chipping away small things here and there so right. ecosystem as in like you know my camera goes up but as you said like I need to have batteries. I need to have tripods. I need to have all the other things, map box filters, all the like, m- like medias. Like I, I think I have to have all the best and then that creates an ecosystem. So mm-hmm. like, I'm not making only one thing rented out. I'm making everything rented out with fair price. And, uh, lo- long time ago, my, uh, friend, your friend too, or, uh, Jeff Dolan told me that, um, you know, just do not buy anything like, I guess, cheap, like just buy some, like, just Only buy industry. Yeah, yeah. Just buy best of the best industry standard items. And I think that's 
that's so true. I bought so many map boxes and ended up buying Ari map box, and that hasn't been changed for like five years. And you know, it's just like once you have the best of the best and create the ecosystem, then it's kind of easy to buy. Like I can buy like a medium level cameras, and I can use the same support system that、mm-hmm. I have for the、mm-hmm. Alexa. So I think those make sense to me, but I.、Um, Yeah, as a way around, I think chipping away one, like if, if someone's trying to buy one camera body, but they don't have good support system, they cannot even make one professional package out of it. That's, I, I think that's more of the, yeah. I, I would say, like, I think there's a notion that, like, when you own the gear, you give it for free. And、mm-hmm. I, I think, um, I think that's a bad place to be, like as an owner and then also as like whoever's profiting from it. Because、mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> it only works for a few times and it doesn't create win win situations. So I think,、um, I think any commercials that I do, they probably have budget for the camera. Like either I'm on it or not on it. Like, you know, they can't bid the project based off of like, oh, this guy is going to give us like a really great deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then that production company goes to just so little from there. So <clears throat> I, think, I think those are not really big. Yeah, I don't know.、Uh, sorry, I lost my no, thoughts. I, I, I think、sense. maybe, you know, the other way of thinking of it is because I love this ecosystem. You, you have to save someone a trip to the rental house, right? Like, if you're like, oh, yeah, I've got a camera body, but you still have to get all of the other stuff. And frankly, a lot of that stuff is the stuff that, like, when people are discounting, they'll be like, oh, okay, well, we'll give you the, the body for a full price, but, you know, batteries will we'll knock them down a little bit or we'll nickel and dime some of this other stuff. But so you have, you have to be literally the whole package. It makes me think of、um, I knew a producer who、um, went in with some buddies on walkies. And I was、right. so jealous because walkies you need on every single job, they're pretty darn expensive. And he was just renting, but it was him and a DP that went in 50 50. They were just off the shelf the entire time, they were constantly being rented. And so they paid themselves off immediately. And be- to your point, Yuki, They weren't on consignment. It was just that the two stakeholders worked enough that they would always get chipped in. So if a DP is like, oh, hey, I've got these great walkies, you know, here's the rate. Can I get a kit fee for that? And you're making a producer's life easier. There you go. Right. Yeah. So I'll invest in walkies. <clears throat> I, I was、um, like, well, I, well the, actually, <laughs> before we shift, Yuki,、yeah. can you think of any piece of kit that a director? Could rent, it makes sense for a, a director to own that they could rent to a production. How it, this system works is I think, you know, whoever gets the job closest to the job source、mm-hmm. gets first say in、mm-hmm. whatever they have. So if the production company owns a camera, they would probably say, We have to use this camera and they have rights to say it because they got the job. Or if director、mm-hmm. gets the job and if director has a camera, director want DP to use that camera. It's his, it's his call. So I think it comes down to also, you know, you could 
you could buy walkie-talkie, you could buy, you know, fog machine, sure. like whatever you use all the time. <laughs> you, you, you have to have, hey, I have to have this monitor. Mm-hmm. Like this, I cannot see any other way but this monitor. Then like you get to put that on a sure. job every time. But, you know, it's, yeah, it's some, some, some might ask why it has to be this monitor. So sure. Sure. I, I think... Yeah, I don't know what else is uh, like being rented. You guys have access to budget, and so you you know you can see like what's rented, and like you, you can just say, mm-hmm. "Hey, I have this. Like, can I?" I, I love yeah. the idea of just rolling up to every job with like pop up tents and folding chairs. <laughs> yeah, margins are real, bad on real that. production stuff. <laughs> when when I was coming up and I was doing working with like our friends at Sawhorse and stuff and doing, you know, quick interviews for Teen Vogue and whatever, and shooting them on five Ds and bring in my Kino kit. Like they would, they would give me, you know, little rental fees and things a lot of times. And I was like doing everything, shooting and directing and, um, you know, trying to do all that stuff. So I think there is like a level, you know, mm-hmm. if you're kind of a content creator, branded content, like kind of doing smaller things or, you know, Yuki, you mentioned like documentary stuff. There is a level where it's really easy to get your gear working and to get, because it's not $10,000 a rental. It's like, $500 a rental, it's like easier, more palatable for these kind of like run and gun type productions. But when you're trying to do kind of bigger broadcast level productions, yeah, either you have the Alexa 35 or you rent it, but you're not going to be using your Sony FX3 for this like awesome giant shoot, unless it's the creator. Sure. Um, hey, everyone, we're going to interrupt this episode. And just as a reminder, we're making this a two part episode. So thank you, Yuki, for all the advice you've given so far about camera ownership and how you do the math to own things. Uh, We have a lot more great things we talked to you about, such as whether you should incorporate or not and why people would want to do that. Also about kind of saving money and making money and and various money things that a lot of us don't get into this business for because we care about the creative part, but uh, is important for us to have longevity in it. So stay tuned for part two. 